Good afternoon, Jeffrey. Thank you for taking the time. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, first of all, I want to thank you all for taking the time. Um, it's it's uh, usually we do this every March, and I'm very aware that there's been a you know a, a time gap of really being able to get together. But the main thing is to uh, see you all and see you safe. And uh, my best wishes to all of you, your friends, your family, and and everybody. It's uh, it's been quite a quite a difficult year in so so many ways. Um, and so I, I think I'd just like to say a few words uh, and then open it up to really any kind of questions you want to ask. Uh, you guys can determine um, everywhere we go on this. I'm going to try to really shoot from the hip and uh, uh, really just express myself in, in every way I possibly can um, and, and try to speak from the heart. Uh, that's really, I, I think, the best way here. Um, so... Uh, I think that um, one thing I said in March in the statement that we made is that um, there there is just so much pain, and there's so much pain both in our country and around the world, and obviously uh, we're going through two terrible, terrible pandemics, one that's existed for uh, the history of our entire country. Um, uh, the pandemic of, of, of systemic racism, uh, violence to minorities, oppression, all that kind of uh, activities that have been part of our history. Um, and obviously the once in the last hundred years uh, health pandemic um, that's that's been devastating as well. Uh, I, I think that the important thing with systemic racism and all the behaviors that stem from it are that we all live and experience the pain and at the same time take ownership in that's who we are. I really believe that. It's not that it's the other. It's, it's all of us. It's our country that we love and it's our friends, it's our family, it's people we work with, it's everybody. And um, I think there's two real elements of it uh, that I find uh, it particularly important. And one is to take ownership of it and step aside for a moment and listen and listen and listen, um, and then try to use the gift of elevation, which is a human gift, and take ourselves to a higher level of ourself and try to figure out what we all can do, both as a country, as a city, uh, and ourselves and our football team, what can we do to be part of the solution? This has been going on for far, far too long, and it's, it's our history. Um, it's really, really important, though, I think, to feel the pain first. And... Um, not anesthetize it. And I think in our country, and it's only natural uh, in societies probably around the world, that we suffer a lot of events, a lot of, um, a lot of pain, but we then move on, and we move on too quickly. And so people become statistics. And that's not really what this is all about. Um, so, you know, when George Floyd is murdered, okay, um, that's a 
single black man whose breath is taken away and who dies from uh, exactly what took place. And yet, it's somebody we don't know. It's somebody that is a name to us, um, but we don't know much uh, about that person, about his family, about the troubles or successes that he's had as a human being. How is he as a sister, a brother, a son, a father? We don't know much about that. So one of the things I, I try to do, uh, it's been sort of a lesson to myself, is how do I exacerbate the pain? Because I don't want to be numb to it. And so, uh, you know, what I, what I tend to do, and it's just personal, uh, is I will take somebody that I either know or widely admire, and I'll put them into that face. And I'll say, okay, what if that was Kobe Bryant? somebody else we lost. What if that was Kobe Bryant, whose breath was taken away? How would we feel? And so I go to places like that so that I can fully feel the ramifications of taking somebody's life like that. Um, Ahmaud Arbery, um, there's, there's a great example. Uh, you know, somebody gunned down like that. Okay, what if we took somebody else we recently lost, Chadwick Boseman? That was Chadwick Boseman. That wasn't somebody we don't know. Um, that's somebody that we admired, universally respected for enlivening ourselves and our lives. So um, you, you could find an older victim, and it could be Coach Shula, somebody else we recently lost. Race doesn't, you know, it, it can be white, black, or, or, or different. Uh, it's not about that. Um, it is all about that, but at the same time, it's, it's trying not to anesthetize ourselves so that each individual situation becomes paramount, heartfelt in the, in the most intense way. And, um, you know, I, I just think that, uh, uh, that that's, that's just one way I, I make it continually alive. Now, um, systemic racism... Uh, it's our legacy. When you write back on the 400 years of the United States, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful things that have taken place in our country. Um, and uh, we can all be proud of it. We can all love our country. But to love our country is to own our country. And that's where I, I really believe strongly that we have to own the good and own the bad. And um, we won't be able to change the bad until we realize we're responsible for it. And uh, I think that has to come from the heart. It's not about, oh, that happened, and there's another one, and that's a statistic. That has to come from opening our hearts. And if, if we want to expect those that are committing violent acts against minorities, um, we have to try to get ourselves and others to completely open your heart, because if you open your heart, you're not going to put your knee on someone's neck and let them expire. That's from someone whose heart is closed. That's from someone who hates themselves. And we have to learn how to weed out those that have, are so disassociated from themselves that they hate themselves. And um, that's really, really hard to do. So when we talk about police training, 
where we talk about legal training, where we talk about healthcare training, where we talk about anything. We have to be, we have to um, emphasize the importance of loving yourself, respecting yourself, because the narcissism, the hatred, the taking it out on others, the violence, the superiority of treating others as lesser, that's all self-hatred. It's, it's inculcated racism, it's self-hatred, it's self-loathing, and it's a pandemic in and of itself. So uh, that's some of the challenges we face. And um, I, I've, you know, I've, I've felt this for a long time, uh, and I'm so glad that we're at a situation now where every day it can be paramount on everyone's minds um, and feel the pain, feel, feel what's really taking place. And um, uh, it's, it's, you know, from every tragedy, we've all had tragedies in our own lives. From every tragedy is an opportunity and resilience can kick in. And I know in my own life that's been the case. Some of the the most wonderful opportunities have occurred from tragedy. And uh, so as a country, um, we're experiencing multiple tragedies all at the same time. Lots of stress. But this is a chance to appeal to our higher selves to step back and be objective of what's really going on here, own it, and create action as best we can in every possible direction. Um, and so, anyway, it, it's it, it's it's been heartbreaking, and on a on a on a very deep level for myself, and I'm sure for all of you, COVID um, COVID nineteen uh, is. You know, it's it's obviously a once in a hundred. It's been a once in a hundred year pandemic. But I think we got to look at the facts of COVID-19. It's not OK. This occurred. It's out of our control. And this is what happened. Far from it. So as somebody who, whether it's uh, our football team or any kind of analysis of policy, uh, I, I'm for looking at the facts first. And I'm, I don't want to. You have to be as apolitical as possible. Let's look what's really happened here. And um, so we have 800,000 deaths and rising around the world. We have almost 200,000 deaths in the United States. This is from COVID-19 alone. 30,000 in the month of August. Over 1,000 in the United States. Over 1,000 every single day. So if I told you that yesterday... Five Boeing 737s crashed in the United States. Everybody died. Well, that's every single day right now. Every single day. It's been like that for many weeks. You know, we are 4% of the world's population. 21% of the fatalities. There's a lot to figure out. Why is that the case? Why? A lot of questions to be answered, a lot of questions um, that will be answered. But the fact of the matter is, like when I discussed, you know, George Floyd on my Arbery, uh, it's feeling the pain of all those people in the United States and all over the world and wondering, we're the wealthiest country in the world and, you know, 21% of the deaths, 
we're able to socially distance better than any country where we have the potential to. Uh, we have life-saving mechanisms more than any third world country. Uh, but we are and have been the epicenter of exactly what has taken place. And um, that's our history. We have to own this. We have to own the questions of leadership. We have to own the questions of policy. And uh, there's a lot to be discussed here on that in the future. But uh, that's the reality I think we face. I'd rather just say it straight out from my heart. It's, it's heartbreaking. These are needless deaths, needless. We should be similar to most countries on this planet. And yet we are, um, we are an embarrassment and, uh, and a tragic embarrassment. And um, that's, that's, that's where we stand. Um, anyway, uh, you know, at the same time, I want to give you all the, the respect of we haven't had a chance to talk. Uh, football seems awfully trivial at the moment, but it's coming upon us. We love the sport. And um, I, I think it's important to open up also to questions, you know, that relate to the football season. So uh, I, I think that um, there's a few things that are topics that, you know, it's worth just mentioning because we haven't all had a chance to get together. Uh, one of them is, um, you know, somebody we're all really, really close to and respect won the Super Bowl. And Andy Reid... Um, I know I love the man, and uh, I, I couldn't be happier for him. If it wasn't going to be the Eagles, uh, I, I'm really, really happy it was Andy. Uh, and he'll probably have a chance to win many more. Um, we have a player that's going to enter the Hall of Fame. That doesn't happen all the time either. Somebody we love and respect in this building, Harold Carmichael. Uh, and he's finally going to get an opportunity to enter the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I, and I just want to mention that as well. We've also... Um, had significant um, people that we all uh, really care for and respect that have passed away recently, from Coach Shula to Howard Mudd, uh, Pete Retzlaff, Timmy Brown, uh, fellow owner Mike McCaskey. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of people that have obviously passed away in the last um, multiple months with the pandemic, but I, I can't help but mention some of those people because they're all close to us, and Coach Shula is, uh, is one of my heroes. Um, on, the, on the football side, uh, uh, you know, a, a monumental um, uh, event was the passing of the new CBA, obviously, and the next 11 years will be um, uh, in, in, a, in a great partnership between the, the teams and the players. And it's even you can see it in evidence now with uh, the working together with the protocols for COVID-19 and uh, social justice and everything. It's it's quite a quite a, an improvement over decades past, and I'm just proud of all the work that, that did go into this on everybody's behalf, and Roger Goodell, D. Smith, and, and everyone else that was, was a part of that. Um, and lastly, before I just open it up to questions, I, I, I don't think there's ever been a time when we all realize the importance of voting. And um, voting has ramifications, everybody, as we know. And maybe it's taken us some of us too long, myself included, to realize that from lower down on the ballot to the highest levels. And um, uh, we have a very important election coming up on November 3rd. And uh, one of the things we're offered to do is to uh, open up Lincoln Financial Field to be a polling place if needed. 
Uh, we're also going to close our offices uh, that day. We're encouraged also our staff to be volunteers in the uh, pre-polling pre in terms of registration or any, any help we can be to maximize people's ease of voting, no matter how they're going to vote. We're, we're, we want to see that happen. Too few people that are even registered to vote, I think it's like 60 percent, even vote in this country. And um, the, the, we're dealing with some really important issues, and um, uh, I, I think there's a chance to um, really make a difference when it comes to that. And Philadelphia and Pennsylvania are obviously um, at the epicenter of potential outcomes in the election. So uh, I encourage everybody, and the Eagles will be a thousand percent supportive of, of that effort. Um, anyway, I, I don't know what directions you all want to go, but uh, we're all hurting, and I just appreciate you all taking the time uh, to talk to one this one person. So open it up to questions. Okay, thank you, Jeffrey. Um, we'll open it up to questions. We'll start with Dave Zingaro and then Zach Berman. Hey, Jeff, it's good to talk to you. Dave, um, good to talk to you, too. You guys have had some uh, pretty deep conversations as it pertains to racial and social injustice. You, as an owner of an NFL franchise, what do you feel like your role is, not just having those conversations, but action after them? I, to me, action's the most important. Um, the conversations need to take place. They've always taken place with our team. Uh, going back a few years, we've always had you know, a, a very close-knit atmosphere between our players and ownership and, and executives. And I think it's, it's served us well, and it continues to, because I, I trust our players. I trust the direction and their, their feelings of hurt and where they think we should go. And I'm more of a listener, and I'm somebody that wants to fully support with the resources of our organization and our league, uh, whatever actions that are deemed the most sustainable. So if I can be a guide uh, in terms of where I, I think things can be sustainable, then I'm there for them. But I, I, as I said to them, I think yesterday or the day before in our, our meeting uh, with the Social Justice Committee was, I'm here for you guys. You guys take the lead and you will have, as you always have had, uh, our support and um, that's just the way we've naturally operated. I'm, I'm really pleased with how they are looking at um, these difficult, difficult issues and want to come up with something that's sustainable, not be the first to come up with an action plan, but to come up with things that are really sustainable in the community, in the city, uh, in the country. And, um, you know, that, that, that's my role. Go ahead, Zach Berman, and then Peter King. Hi, Jeffrey. In, in regards to the health pandemic, what makes you confident that this season will be able to take place and be completed? And how do you feel about the decision not to have fans at the stadium to begin the season? Well, you know, I, I am optimistic that we'll um, be able to play our games. Uh, the, so far, you know, uh, things are going awfully well in terms of uh, the protocols. They're very, very detailed and uh, rightly so. And um, I, I'm optimistic, Zach, but I'm also uh, really cognizant that the virus will control that. We will not control that. And I think Dr. Fauci has said that many times. Um, we will do the very, very best we can as a league and as a team to try to keep 
everybody as safe as possible. It's inevitable there's going to be ups and downs here. Uh, but I think we have uh, significant roster size. We have positional flexibility. We know going in that there's going to be some unusual games where players might be playing positions they've hardly ever played. Um, but that's that's part of being a professional athlete. And uh, I, I think we're going to see we embrace it. Honestly, uh, Doug Peterson, his staff, Howie and his staff, we've embraced the unpredictability of it. And we know that in any given game, there might be one quarterback available or maybe there'll be no tight ends and the right wide receiver will have to play tight end or we'll have to play uh, our, our defensive end's going to be a defensive tackle or uh, a cornerback's going to have to be a receiver. Um, our long snapper may not be there. So we, 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 I think the contingencies, the teams that um, embrace it uh, will have some advantage having players that are welcoming the opportunity to step in when needed. And, you know, I, I think one other thing is that um, I, I think when coaches, it, it's counterintuitive a bit here, Zach, but when coaches are willing to employ rookies and second-year players early on, even though they haven't had OTAs and preseason games, it's going to allow you, have, allow you to have more flexibility in October, November, December, and the playoffs. Um, instead of saying, oh, there are, there's a rookie, they're not going to play much this year. It's counterintuitive, but it should be the opposite. We need in September and October to get every possible rookie and second-year player uh, involved, and, um, and, and I, I know that's, that's the approach. Go ahead, Peter, and then Ruben Frank. Yeah, hey, Jeffrey, good, hey, to, uh, good to see you. Great to see uh, you, too. You know, I wonder, especially particularly in the last week with um, all of the activism that's gone on in all of the leagues with people choosing to not play games uh, and NFL teams choosing not to practice, are you concerned that the players of the NFL might uh, either want to postpone or cancel a week of games this year? I mean, what would be your advice to players, any of your players, if they came to you and asked you about that? Yeah, I'm not concerned, Peter, because I, I would I'm supportive of everything that's involved in terms of trying to create attention and social change. And I've always been that way. And if we have to sacrifice, we have to sacrifice. Uh, but I, I, I guess my most important uh, opportunity to discuss that would be what can we do that's really effective? And it's not um, simply a, a statement, but something that's going to have action involved with it. So um, I, I respect the NBA players. Uh, they, you know, they were obviously able to reschedule the game that they they missed, but just coming together and taking a stand, um, I, I respect that fully. Um, and we've had a history in our country of athletes, mostly independently from Muhammad Ali, John Carlos, the 1968 Olympics. Uh, the list the list goes on and on, um, all the way through uh, recent times. And it's it's nice to see that. Leagues and teams now in partnership can come together and show the country that these are really important issues, not just um, individuals, but these are team issues, company issues, 
business issues for corporations. Um, we we should be out front leading the way. And um, you know, by the way, um, these are not simply minority issues. Us who are not in the minority have to lead the way as well. And when I talk about ownership, that's what I'm talking about. We have to help everybody lead the way as well. So I, I'm not worried, Peter, because I know our players will do what's best. Go ahead, Ruben, and then Tim McManus. Jeffrey, good to see you. Thanks for your time. Hey, Ruben. Hey, um, we haven't spoken to you since uh, early July when Deshaun uh, had some social media posts um, uh, citing quotes that were widely attributed to Hitler. Uh, we saw your statement. We know how you feel. But I just want to ask what your initial reaction was to that, to learning about it. And also, as you said in your statement, you want to see how he shows he's educated. And, and I just wanted to ask how, how you measure that and what you've seen so far from Deshaun in regard to that. Well, I, I thought the social media posts were disgusting and appalling. Um, I don't think anybody can take it any other way. Um, you're talking about a, a leader of a genocide, and it uh, doesn't matter uh, what it was a genocide of. Any leader of a genocide is uh, uh, one of the worst individuals uh, and a member of a group of individuals that you know we've seen both in our lifetime and in history. Um, so... Uh, I, I've known Deshaun for a long time, obviously. Um, we all have. And uh, he has, I think, really understood the ramifications of that appalling uh, post. And um, so far, everything that we've asked him to do to both educate himself and to learn and take action, um, he's done completely. Uh, so I would hope that would continue, Rube. And, um, uh, you know, I, I also think that uh, in life, you have to understand fully where a person's coming from. And um, uh, I, I listened. I listened. It doesn't take away the hurt. It doesn't take away the words. But I, I think that with Deshaun, he's doing the right things. And that has to continue. That's a, that's a, daily, uh, a daily event. And that's that's where that's at. By the way, I like your long hair. It's uh, am I seeing that right? Takes me back to the '60s. A little shaggy. <laughs> I think we should go watch The Grateful Dead together. Come on. <laughs> I'm in. Okay, you in? We'll, we'll go to. Uh, you know I'm in. We'll go to Tim McManus and then Jeff McLean. Hi, Jeffrey. Good to see you. Tim, hi. Hi. Uh, it's been uh, four years since uh, Colin Kaepernick first. Uh, protested on the sidelines. Um, reflecting back over those four years, do you feel like NFL leadership kind of let the players down on a social justice front collectively? And uh, what kind of knowledge was gained from that to, uh, to apply moving forward? Yeah, I, I think that most of the things that Colin was talking about, um, many of those, many of those, not all, but many of them struck a chord, um, certainly struck a chord with me. Um, they weren't that different than, you know, uh, I've been watching, hearing, and listening to since the 60s. And um, so I, I think that the NFL probably didn't listen well enough um, to what he was really saying because um, I, I think that we, we could have, as a league, uh, listened more. That's all. Listen more, 
and not reacted in anything but a, a listening and learning mode. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think you 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 listen and you learn, and uh, um, that's that's how I look back on it. Jeff McLean and then Bo Wolf. Jeff McLean and then Bo Wolf. Uh, Jeff, you've always been at the forefront of wanting offensive, uh, innovative offensive minds on your football staff. And this offseason, you guys made some significant changes in that regard. You, you let Mike Groh go and Carson Walsh, and you brought in Rich Gangarella, uh, Andrew Bryner, Marty Morningweg. What was your involvement in those decisions, and how do you think it's going to play out with so many uh, different voices in that room now? So I, I think that uh, we've always emphasized um, offensive football and trying to be as dynamic as we we can be. Um, the last couple of years, uh, we were all, as a group, not satisfied with our offensive production. And um, uh, it didn't stop us from making the playoffs. It didn't stop us from making a, a postseason run. Um, but we always have the belief as an organization, it's part of our DNA, that you want to be a top five offense uh, to have your best chance of, of winning the Super Bowl. And so um, I, these, are, these are questions and discussions that happen year-round. Uh, it wasn't about any particular people. It was, these are our goals. What can we do uh, to achieve, uh, and were we stagnant in any possible way? Let's be as self-critical as possible and try to get to the bottom of, um, you know, is in every way we can, uh, because that's that's what we've always done. Um, most of the head coaches, you know, that I've had over the twenty-something years uh, have obviously been quarterback uh, tutors, and um, I, I believe in that. But I also believe that uh, a coach constructs his own staff, and so um, my approach has always been to have weekly dialogue, weekly involvement. Um, with all aspects of our operation and at the same time have enough respect and trust in our uh, head coach, general manager, to let them make the decisions. And uh, that, that's just the way we operate. So it was not a surprise to me at all that Doug wanted to bring in um, some new voices. And he's a good manager. Uh, having a number of coaches around him, uh, that's just a, a resource management um, I'm sure he will compartmentalize and utilize certain coaches for certain tasks and certain aspects. And uh, he can answer that a lot better than I can. But, you know, I've got a lot of faith in Doug uh, and he's humble enough to respond to when we're not good enough to wanting to be better and trying to find um, a different group of, of coaches to help him in that regard. Bo Wolf and then Howard Eskin. Hey, Jeffrey. Um, Rodney said the other day that, uh, you know, he puts the onus on, on the NFL owners in, in sort of, you know, affecting change right now. Uh, the things that you have been talking about today are, are relatively um, unique, I guess, uh, among the you know, NFL owners in terms of uh, the viewpoints that, that you're putting out there. Where do you um, see the rest of the league um, in terms of, you know, have you seen a change in the way that they are viewing things? And do you think there is a, a stomach for um, the owners as a whole of trying to affect widespread change? 
So, Bo, you know, I've only talked to, you know, a fairly small number of owners the last few weeks and months uh, about that. Uh, but my sense is every single owner I've talked to is committed to trying to find a way to create change. I mean, we're not running, obviously, the government. We're not in positions of power, but we're in positions of access. We're in positions of having resources. And so, you know, I, I see a league that wants to be as proactive as possible. Um, I, I've seen this for a couple of years now. I think it's increasing and it's really, uh, it's eye-opening in a great way. Um, I, I, I just think you've got a lot of owners um, and a lot of league people that are completely in back of trying to be agents for change and help in the solution um, and listen to the players. And that's, that's a, you know, a sea change over the last couple of years, and uh, I, I'm, I'm really happy about it. Go ahead, Howard, and then Les Bowen. Uh, Jeff, uh, it's good to see you. Hey, Howard, uh, good to see you, too. Well, Boy, that beard is, uh, whoa. It's a pandemic beard. It's coming off with a season Oh, my stuff. God, that's, uh, that's quite the beard. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, you will have no fans, at least for the first game, and I would assume longer. There's a lot of teams with no fans at games, no fans at the stadium. Sean McDermott, I'm sure, um, feels the same way as a lot of people. He said it's ridiculous that there will be fans in stadiums in some stadiums and not in others. When the commissioner, before when the pandemic started, wasn't allowing uh, people and players and coaches in the facility to keep them on a level playing field, why and do you believe that this is unfair and ridiculous? And why is this happening where some teams will be permitted to have fans when other teams will not at their games? So uh, it's, it's a little bit of a complicated question. I, I want to go back. I think it might have been, I forget who asked the question about fans at our games, and I, I didn't remember to answer it. Um, so initially, there's not going to be fans at our games. We have been trying very, very hard to come up with solutions that are safe and innovative uh, in time for the beginning of the season. Uh, and we've had a lot of really creative uh, and constructive conversations with the state and the city, and that continues on a daily and weekly basis. Uh, we, we are hopeful there's gonna be uh, real ways of having significant fans in our stadium uh, pretty soon. And maybe not for September, but after that, and we're looking at uh, innovative ways of testing, uh, with rapid testing, with point-of-care testing, with home testing. Uh, th there's a lot of ways to, to kind of approach this, and we've been uh, incredibly proactive uh, working with companies around the planet to see what they're up to and whether we can implement testing procedures that uh, would allow the public, because that's, that's the first thing is we love our fans. We know we've got a big home field advantage. We even have an away field advantage in places, uh, as you know, like Washington, Los Angeles, Miami. And um, so it's, it's frustrating. But at the same time, uh, I, I've got to say, we as a team, Doug leading the way, really embrace. We're, we're out to win every game. And yes, maybe there's a, an advantage for a, a team to have 10,000, 20,000 fans but uh, we're, we're not going to let that stop us. We, we embrace the situation. Do we really want to prevent those 20,000 fans uh, in wherever it is to be unable to watch their team play because uh, we're not able to have fans 
you know, on the East Coast? I don't think so. Uh, fans are the backbone of the sport. And uh, I, I really believe that I, I wouldn't want to sit here and tell you that we're going to uh, stop those fans in Arizona or wherever it is from attending uh, if it's safe there just because we think there's some advantage. I'd rather have them enjoy our sport. So I, I know that's different than Sean, but I, I, as, as just as a philosophy here, whatever the pandemic brings, whatever the ramifications are, uh, let's embrace it completely and um, uh, try to win every single football game and uh, go full force ahead. Go ahead, Les, and then Rob Motti. Hello, Jeffrey. I'm sorry hey, I don't Les. look that much different than the last time you no, saw me. No, you look me, identical. So it goes. Uh, I was actually going to ask part of what Howard just asked. Okay. Uh, the part of it he didn't ask is, so if you don't have any fans offseason, do you have a ballpark figure of, what that financial impact would be to the Eagles? And have you had to lay off any staff? No, we've, we've made a point of, um, of not laying off anybody. Um, that, that's, that's been a, a very, very important point for me, and uh, I hope it's never necessary. Um, of course, there's significant economic impact, but um, I, honestly, um, What's the unemployment rate? It was up to 22% the other day uh, before there's been I, – I, I, don't, I don't go there, honestly. We, we're, we're in a sport that is unbelievably attractive, um, you know, uh, thriving. Uh, the television business uh, will rebound. Uh, I, I, I would rather worry about everybody else and, and right now not worry about us. Obviously, there's an in impact. Thank you. Go ahead, Rob, and then John McMullen. Hey, Jeffrey. Thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. A couple questions ago, you were asked about conversations with owners and other owners, and you said you've spoken to some of those owners. How important do you think it is that if there are owners, and we know you can never get anyone on the same page all the time on all issues. But how important do you think it is for someone as open-minded as yourself, supportive of the players and the fight and the cause, to take maybe a leadership role and have those conversations with other owners who may not necessarily have the same viewpoint and try to impress upon them the importance of being more understanding, being more compassionate and seeing the plight of some of these people and some of the players who are going through this. So we have, we have some meetings scheduled, John, we have some meetings scheduled. Um, there, there's going to be a lot of meetings scheduled. Um, I, I actually believe that in most of the owners hearts and minds, they are really wanting to be proactive. I, I really believe that. And I'm not leading the way they are, um, they're leading the way. It's, uh, it's a sea change. And, um, you know, it's, it's very important, though, that we support policies that are part of the solution. And, and in terms of elected officials, uh, locally, statewide, and maybe, obviously, important nationally. And um, I, I do think that it makes it somewhat easier to devise policy changes or devise methods 
that can be effective if you have leaders that are quite open to it, uh, if you have political office holders that are open to it. And um, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I do believe that elections really do matter. And this is a stark one. And uh, uh, my hope is um, that enough people will vote and will feel it's representative of the population and where we're at and that owners uh, will reflect that. And I, I really I have a lot of faith in my NFL brethren. I, I really, really do. Um, I don't see myself as leading the way in the slightest. I, I see it um, very differently. And, uh, you know, maybe I express it differently, but I am very close to some of them and uh, they suffer and they're, they're embarrassed by our country and uh, uh, embarrassed and hurt. And, and no, we have to listen because we don't even understand that as well as, as those that are uh, particularly oppressed. We have time for a couple more. So we'll finish with John McMullen and then Jarrett Bell. Hey, Jeffrey, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Um, uh, I you talked about how difficult this year has been for so many people and so many negative things happened. One of the positives, you also mentioned Harold uh, getting honored. He's been around this organization so many years. And, and I've noticed you brought in so many other alumni, Connor's back, Brett Selleck's back, Darren Sproles, and even Jason Avant. How important has that been for you to create that sense of family? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a great question. It's intentional. Um, these are four of the most outstanding individuals uh, we've ever had, and they are part of the culture that continues. And so when a Darren Sproles can continue the culture with Miles Sanders and uh, Boston Scott and Corey Clement and, and guys like that, returners, Jalen Rager, uh, it's big. When Brent Selleck does the same, uh, Connor, Jason Avant, I mean, these are, these are people that we all really, really respect. And uh, that we, the reason I think we have been successful to the extent we are and um, have that atmosphere, that family atmosphere, is because of these kind of guys. And we have them in the locker room now. They'll be the future Connor Barwins and Brent Selleck's. Uh, they're all there and Darren Sproles and uh, Jason, they're all there. And so uh, it's very important. It's probably one of our little secret sauces and uh, it's not so secret, but it's, it's, it's important. Okay, go ahead, Jared. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good, Jared. Nice to see you. Yeah. So that conversation that you just um, touched on about Eagles culture is a great segue to, to my question. Um, and I know you, you don't have anything to do with the operation of, of Washington's franchise, but given everything that's come out in the past few weeks about their situation in regards to um, harassment or alleged harassment of women, how does that strike you as a fellow owner? And are you concerned about the damage to the NFL's reputation um, the public trust, just given, you know, the, the very serious allegations coming out of Washington. And have, have your views on Dan Snyder changed? So, Jared, it, it's not going to be a satisfying answer because um, uh, it, it's not something that uh, uh, is easily talked about in the public sphere. Um, we want every franchise to be operated with the most integrity possible and uh, to have the best reputation in its community as possible, 
and to be change agents uh, uh, in every direction possible in their community uh, and role models. And so um, I, I don't want to comment on another franchise. I've never, ever done that. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I will, now that you're reminding me, uh, I do want to wish Coach Rivera well. He's, he's a family member of ours. And, uh, you know, Stephanie and my wife play golf together, and uh, Ron is somebody I really respect. And I know we'll be facing him our first game, but um, he's a high-quality person in every sense of the word. And um, I, 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 I'm just uh, I'm very concerned, and I, I wish him the very best. I understand that, Jeff. You said you were going to shoot from the, from the hip. Um, I, I don't you mind you about... asking the question, Jared, because that's you. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to comment. I don't feel um, it's my role to comment on another franchise. I really don't. We don't. Um, I, I, I don't ever feel we should put ourselves above another team. I, I, I just don't. We have our own weaknesses. We have our own um, soul searching to do. Um, we all do. And I, you know, I think the best possible for us all to operate in is with a degree of humility. And uh, um, the world is, is difficult. And um, we have to be humble and admit to ourselves our own failings uh, and not just, you know, talk about problems elsewhere. You know? I appreciate your response. Yeah. I just want to, uh, Brett, any more questions or? No, you, you can go ahead and, and close okay, it Okay. You know what? I just, I, I wanted to share with you guys um, uh, a couple quotes because I, I just think I, I didn't want to put them in this, but I, I just think that um, it's some that I read and uh, I respect and I think they're apropos to where we're at. Um, and, and some of them are timely for, for other reasons that you'll see. Uh, but one is this, um, uh, in times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. And we see that all around us, the barriers, the divisiveness, the polarization. And that's, uh, that's from Chadwick Boseman in, uh, and, and, you know, as king of Wakanda. And so that's, that's one quote. Uh, two other quotes that, I, that just serve me well. Um, this is from Martin Luther King Jr. Man must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge aggression and retaliation, the foundation of such a method is love. And lastly from Gandhi, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. A coward is incapable of, of exhibiting love. It is the prerogative of the brave. And so those, those just help me a little bit sometimes to get through a day and uh, you know, they, they mean a lot, and um, um, I don't know what else to say. I just, uh, I, I hope everyone stays safe, and uh, we all have to be in this together. Um, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen from day to day, you know, whatsoever. But uh, our, our thoughts should be with each other and ourselves, and let's really soul search ourselves and figure out how we can get everyone to love themselves so they don't, uh, act out on the rest of the world and the world they're living in. And, uh, you know, when you see narcissism and anger and revenge and uh, outright racism, um, 
it's it's just it's the worst of us. And so I, I hope in my little way, you know, I can at least stand to point to myself, point at myself and say, Jeffrey, you know, every morning or every night, try to be the best of yourself, not the worst of yourself. It's easy for us to stoop low, but it's much harder to step above it and, and to be the best of ourselves. And um, um, I, I don't know, I'll just, I'll leave you with that. It's far from perfect, but I'll, I'll leave you with that. So thank you all very much. I, I took way too much of your time, but anyway, thank you.